Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today we've got a real pleasure. My good friend Larry Autumnleaf has returned to the Explaining History podcast and we're going to talk about some of the difficulties in pedagogy surrounding uh, the civil rights movement and in the era of Black Lives Matter and the difficulties, particularly from a UK perspective, of telling the civil rights story. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce, once again, Larry Orton-Leaf. Thank you. Okay, so welcoming back to the Explaining History podcast is my good friend, Larry Orton-Leaf. Um, if you've been following the, the podcast for a while, you'll know that Larry and I talked about uh, China and Mao and the uh, Sino-Soviet split last year. Um, welcome, Larry. Um, Thank you. Today we're, we're, we're talking about uh, the kind of the historical uh, roots of, uh, of, of what we currently see as the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's really a kind of a, a continuation of, I wouldn't even call it the civil rights movement, but the, the, the struggle, for, um, the, 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 the struggle for, for black freedoms in America since the end of the Civil War. Um, firstly, I... I, I I guess, you know, we, here we are, two um, UK-based uh, teachers. And um, part of the way in which um, British students understand this, or the only way most British students understand the struggles for equality in America is through the way in which they're taught in schools, um, which there are, I, I would say, kind of problematic areas with. Mm-hmm. Um, my my view has often been that um, a, a civil the, the the civil rights module of America uh, when we were teaching America at kind of GCSE, which for those listening abroad is the kind of the, the standard high school qualification here in Great Britain, is that um, from 1945 to 1965 there were a series of struggles, and then uh, up to um, the end of the 1960s, following the death of Martin Luther King. The, kind of the, the narrative that we teach suddenly sort of starts to kind of fizzle out. There's a there's some mention of like the black power movement and then there's some sort of changes in the conditions that black people experienced in the 1970s. And then when we get into the 1980s, there's a the, the, there's almost nothing to say. And of course that's not true, is it? Um, yeah, when, when I taught, uh, I, I taught an A-level course on civil rights and the years of that were 1945 to 68, which do kind of imply as you are the, that, you know, civil rights ended in 68, you know, there was a problem, it was solved. It also infers that there wasn't a problem before 1945 and there's something magical about that year, whether it be the end of World War Two or or something, presumably, you're going to be taught about on the course. So it kind of starts from that very tricky situation. Yeah. That's why like, I think when, when you suggested we have a chat and try and link it before, during and after through to BLM, that it, it, it will hopefully be an interesting listen um, your subscribers yeah because i mean i think as what you have if, if you walk away from um you know gcse or a level with the assumption that isn't everything all right now then that surely has an effect when you see protests in america to thinking well w- what are they moaning about you know what's what is the problem is it is this not solved and the answer is, well, yeah. of course it isn't 
and uh, but let's let's rewind first. Um, if we're talking about beginning, you know, the before, during, and and, and after that that period, forty five to sixty eight. Mm-hmm. Let's just take that for for now. Um, we have to really rewind to the the end of the Civil War and the conditions in which uh, African Americans were were emancipated. What do you and, and the, the period that follows it of, of Reconstruction? What do you see as as kind of the, the the main issues there for for anyone trying to kind of make sense of this topic in that period of time? It's an interesting conversation that 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 you, that you said begins with Reconstruction. Now, when I taught the American Civil War, Reconstruction was a unit chucked on at the end, eighteen sixty five to eighteen seventy seven. You know, they even give yeah. you the years for that. And 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 for me, that's a little bit wrong. Now, we, we would probably agree that 1877 is wrong because we see these issues as still existing today. But I also think 1865 is the wrong date to start it because that, that, that's obviously the end of the war. Whereas I think you can possibly date the uh, civil rights movement back to um, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which is really where the uh, civil war goes uh, from one of about re- retaining the union of um, of all the states and to an actual civil rights. These are, are the lives of black people who were involved in this war, you know, for, um, fighting it, but also is the war about them. So I think think that's a really interesting place to kind, kind of begin. But Reconstruction, or at least, you know, it is a bit strange to English people talking about Reconstruction, However, Reconstruction itself is a very kind of shaky premise. You know, you've got radicalism pre-Civil War, you know, um, people like John Brown in 1856 and then more famously in 1859, who were certainly fighting for uh, what, what they perceived to be racial equality in far more 20th or even 21st century terms than what a lot of the early... Yeah civil rights protesters are campaigning for. Um, I think, you know, I've never taught it, even in the American War of Independence, you have the the British trying to uh, get slaves over to their side by promising them their their personal freedom, their own uh, manumission. So it's a tricky subject that has a huge political layer you know, um, you, you you will hear a lot of Americans say that the Civil War wasn't about slavery. You know, it was about states' rights. Now, rationally speaking, which is a bold thing to say when what I'm actually going to say is just my own, own view, but I'm going to say that it's rational, is that um, the Civil War was, was about this thing, states' rights, but the state rights, was whether an individual state can have or can spread or can prevent the spread of slavery. Yeah. You know, it's not a war about Louisiana having separate stamps from New York or Mississippi wanting uh, different levels of tax from Ohio. You know, yeah. it, it was a slavery conflict. And I think that really needs to be accepted as a, as a starting point to kind of have this conversation at all. 
Yeah. I don't know what you would think about that, Nick. No, I, I would. I would entirely. Uh, I would entirely agree. Uh, and it it comes down to these conceptions of freedom that um, exist uh, all the way back to the uh, the founding of the United States. The idea that um, is this a, a union where all men are free, or is this a union where it there is a freedom for you know some commercially minded savvy chap to own the the kind of the the the, the human means of production, you know, this, yeah. to own. Uh, uh, other uh, other human beings, which are conveniently dehumanised, or seen as less than human, um, uh, and um, there was, you know, when you you see the um, the, the development of of, of the the, uh, uh, the the southern and the northern states, you uh, on the eve of the civil war, you're talking about two fundamentally opposed cultures there were um the southern states saying is in essence you know you northerners you just don't understand how it works down here um we are you know we're civilizing these these, these savages and and also if you um if, if you if you emancipate them not only do you you know take the knees out from under our in, entire society your entire economy our entire way of life but um you you would also um make um the, the unthinkable happen of um you know negro slaves um being able to kind of compete on equal terms with with poor whites there's a, a very interesting study done um i forget the author but i'll i will look it up and put it in the in the notes under uh, uh under this podcast uh about um uh, the the attitudes of, of poor poor southern whites and and some of whom said essentially well this is this is a slave owner's war uh, even if you keep the slaves in chains, chains, and, you know, and I go and fight and die for that, it doesn't put any any money in my pocket at all. So, so there were there were kind of schisms within white society, uh, minor ones, I would probably uh, uh, say, but definitely some schisms in white society uh, on the eve of the uh, of the civil war in in the south. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting you, you, you say that because, the, you know, the, that difference in why attitude that does tend to be presented quite homogeneously at times is that um, I, I think it was over 75% of white Southerners didn't own slaves. Yeah. We also have a difference in white faith in that Southern whites are going to argue they're doing God's work and Northern whites are going to argue they're doing God's work, but they're obviously trying to achieve um, opposite ends. Yeah. So um, considerable differences there. I think, think another problem is, is that Northern whites... I'm talking 19th century Northern whites are painted very much as the good guys with, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, front and foremost among them, Abraham Lincoln, the great liberator, mm -hmm. you know, that what's the most famous image of Lincoln is probably the one of, of him and the ex-slave on crooked knee being raised up by mm -hmm. Lincoln. So, you know, a, a master of, of early propaganda, really, if we consider that in, I think it was 1858, Lincoln says, if I can save the Union by not freeing a single slave, I would do that. If I can save the Union mm -hmm. by freeing every slave, I would do that. And if I can save the Union by freeing some slaves and not freeing others, I would do that, which I think is a very, very helpful quote in understanding where black 
Black Lives Matter falls within that 19th century prism. It, it's the secondary, if that, yep. tertiary consideration. Absolutely. And, and that explains the nature of the, the final emancipation, where slaves yes. are emancipated without land. They are emancipated without land, but up until 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation manages to liberate uh, slaves that were still under Southern rule and free them under Northern rule, but which they didn't want to do because they didn't want to upset the white slave owners there. So it, it's definitely the proclamation is uh, yeah. is something of fiction, right? Well, from hopeful intentions rather than you know, this great idea, January the 1st, 1863, all the slaves are free. Well, sadly, not true. Uh, the, um, the, the poverty into which um, African-Americans are, are liberated obviously creates um, the, the, the context for their further exploitation. Um, the the uh, southern plantation owners knew their desperation. Um, a great many were... Um, unable um, to um, move very far from where the actual plantation was. They were, uh, they, they, um, were um, victims of, uh, of violent intimidation, really, to stay put because the, the plantation owners now needed a cheap workforce. And so for, for, for many African-Americans, life on the plantation basically resumes. Um, they have de jure freedoms, but de facto kind of uh, oppression, really. But that, that's exactly it. You know, you can free your slavery from slavery. What's it going to do? Go and be a journalist. They, <laughs> the, the black community finds itself kind of constrained by the skills. Now, the skills that they have are agricultural. They're southern skills. Hence why when the war is over, a whole load of black people don't look to emigrate to the north which they have as much in common with as in the 1830s when um, it was argued black should relocate back to Africa. You know, yeah. the North is as foreign as Africa to these people. They are Southerners, and hence they, uh, the vast majority end up as sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's what the situation allowed. Yeah, absolutely. But th- th- there's a thought here. It, it's certainly present in uh, Republican ideology, and it certainly is at the beginning of the civil rights movement, which we'll move on to, is that when you give black people legal equality, you give them the vote, you give them the right to do whatever a white man can do. Then you see a lot of white people, you know, wash their hands, fine, that's the black problem solved and history will remember us for our benevolence. Yeah. But, um, you know... I'm, I'm going to assume something about, about you, Nick, um, that, that probably same for me. I don't have a mansion. I'm assuming you don't. We, we, law allows us to. Why, why don't we have a mansion? It's because we can't afford it. So if freedom allows black people in the 19th century to do what their hearts, uh, do their hearts content, then you can see this is a fallacy. It's just yes. white people thinking... I've solved a problem, but not actually understanding what or caring, perhaps, what this problem is. Yeah. Well, and, and it comes back to notion, pre-existing notions of kind of rugged individualism and uh, the expanding frontier and, yeah. um, you know, existing uh, uh, and, and, you know, living and dying on your own merits and all this kind of 
stuff, which is, you know, fine words. But when you have um, centuries of structural inequality, I mean, to, to, to refer to slavery as a structural inequality is almost kind of like an, an, an absurdity to, to, to almost kind of trivialise it, but cent centuries of oppression, um, the expectation that somebody can then uh, leave slavery and um, uh, can then, you know, uh, progress without the, the, the playing field being fundamentally altered it is oh well, this is it this is it um i mean uh, i suppose the 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 classic example and i always very kind of wary of this example is booker t washington uh booker t washington's famous book was uh, up from slavery in which he essentially kind of exhorted uh, other african americans to you know do it yourself um don't go looking for uh, any any further, um, you know, the, the the white folk have been perfectly fair with us, and now we must buck our mm -hmm. ideas up. And and but the because he was um, probably a colossal narcissist, I'm guessing, and looking from his perspective of well, if I did it, you can, which uh, really kind of fails to understand the, the 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 context of the lives of most African Americans spectacularly, uh, but. Booker T. Washington was kind of the, 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 the darling of the white establishment. He was uh, welcomed to the White House as a, a kind of a, a good, reliable Negro who would be, um, you know, uh, who, who wasn't going to cause lots of trouble, basically. Right. He's the blueprint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, absolutely. And, and his contemporaries call him out on this uh, quite, quite spectacularly. Um, uh, not to say that he wasn't, you know, exceedingly popular uh, amongst African Americans at the time, because because he, he is, um, and he, you know, lots of people uh, listen to him. Um, um, w. B. Du Bois um, was hugely critical of him and, and said, you know, that this is a essentially this is a political struggle, um, and um, we uh, and and he's speaking at a time where the the Jim Crow laws, this is the kind of the, the, the fallacy in, I think, in Washington's arguments, he's, he's speaking at a time where the, the Jim Crow laws are at their height, meaning that there are huge structural and legal barriers to people, yeah. uh, um, African-Americans being educated, owning property, um, even sitting on juries. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, and another point I, I kind of wonder, and I might be a little bit off here, but Booker T. Washington's accommodationism is kind of, I, I believe, is a root of his southern birth. Yeah, I think I think he was a Virginian, whereas W.E.B. Du Bois, a Massachusetts man, a northern, and you, do, you see this difference presented in the 20th century movement as well, um, with this kind of, we'll call it for now, radical, moderate approach. But I think that is exactly that. So Booker T. Washington is popular primarily in the South, in yeah. the same way that Martin Luther King uh, um, from Georgia is also primarily, you know, internationally as well, but primarily popular in the South, whereas yeah. your Malcolm X's and uh, Huey Newton, Bobby Seals, et cetera, carry less weight in the South. And, I, oh, yeah. you know... Just seeing Dubois and Booker T as almost the the 
avant-garde of those two movements. There's a geographical thing going on there, I feel. It's really important, what you say is really, really important from uh, the perspective of studying this from outside, you know, from studying this from from Great Britain. Because once again, the the temptation, and perhaps this happens when you teach this at a particular level, the, the temptation to see black movements as homogenous. Uh, is, is is definitely there, and obviously they're not. There are schisms and debates and disagreements, and uh, you know, uh, angry sometimes angry confrontations between different branches of of what is rough, roughly a kind of a broad family of movements. Yeah. Um, which brings us on to um, the, the the civil rights movement itself. And once again, I want to return to this this notion that we we have in our uh, our kind of pedagogy in Great Britain of it is the the, the the story of kind of triumph and progress. Now, my confusion, and this goes all the way back, long, long way, went to when I was studying this at school, was, hang on. So the Second World War ends, you know, we agreed that the, 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 the racist fascist regime of Nazism, they were, there, they were definitely the bad guys. So in 1945, these black people returning from service, um, realized that oppression isn't necessarily compulsory and they decided to do something about it. And over 20 or 30 years, they, they, they have a series of successes. And even then that story seemed to be, there seemed to be holes in it somewhere. Um, and th- of course it's, it's, there, there is a sort of an element of truth to that, that there was an empowered generation after uh, after 1945. But actually, one thing that gets left out of the story is the terrific violence that returning black GIs and, um, um, for, and, and munitions workers and every other branch of black society that had um, uh, been uh, part of the uh, uh, part of the victory, the terrific violence that, that, that is meted out on them by um, white vigilantes and groups in sort of 1945-46. Um, and it's, it's, there's an echo of it. If you look at in 1919, the red summer of 1919, where it's, once again, uh, after the upheavals of the war, white society tries to kind of uh, reassert itself. Um, I think there's, there's a two interesting historical uh, historical moments there. I say interesting, extremely violent and distressing, but... Um, um, the the story of the civil rights movement, anyway, that we tell, uh, is often lacks nuance. I would say, uh, and and the the move the, 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 that period for the fifties and sixties is much more complex. Yeah, because you, you you've got that level that you're discussing as well, and I think the other thing that's kind of presented, at least in the British curriculum's handling of the civil rights movement, is essentially that Martin Luther King was the good guy, his protests are non-violent, therefore he appeals to government, well, he appeals to anyone who's not um, a, a radical or, you know, radical leftist or a radical rightist, but Malcolm X he, he, uh, and the uh, Nation of Islam tend to be presented as well, you know, we're going to handle something a little bit sensitive today, here are these uh, crazy people, this is what they wanted, they didn't even have any nice sit-down protests, you know, these guys were violent, and you kind of almost feel that 
Well, it's very dependent on the teacher's own view, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I, I was always a bit more ambivalent about Martin Luther King in my teaching and far more enthusiastic on uh, Black Panther, well, Black Power as a whole, really. Yeah. Because there is this kind of, you know, teachers obviously have their own political beliefs as well, which lead them um, that way. But first time teaching this, um, crikey, 2008, is that you... That, that moment in the course, and you mentioned the terms earlier, de jure and de facto, when you actually figure out there are two civil rights movements, there's the southern one and the northern one, and how, as I said earlier, that there's very limited crossover between the both, probably best symbolised by Martin Luther King and Malcolm X having met each other once, I think, for about five minutes at the signing of the 64 Civil Rights Act. Mm. Um, so two different campaigns, two different methodologies from two different routes... Yet it all comes from the, the same root issue, which is racial equality. And I would argue it's racial equality from two perspectives. It's the hope to achieve it, and it's the determination to prevent it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like yin and yang. I think... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, it, and absolutely, the, the, um, the, the, that determination to prevent it... Um, that you know that that comes from that that very very dark place. That again, I don't think it, it, in in some ways um, it, it is kind of underexplored. I mean, there you would say that there's a le- legitimate argument for underexploring it because these are the bad guys. But um, in in a way, to understand how inequality, how discrimination, how racism. And, and racist violence function, you kind of need to look a little bit at the quote-unquote bad guys uh, and uh, understand uh, what it is they believe were, were, was at, at stake. Um, I think in the case of um, non, the, the, the Martin Luther King and the, the, the non-violent movement, um, there is... Because we live in a kind of pluralistic, relatively pluralistic, liberal society where violence is discouraged, um, what filters down through kind of government um, c- 
kind of guiding of um, teaching curriculums and then through exam boards and then through to textbooks and then through to teachers is this idea that really the, the non-violent movement was really rather wonderful and um uh and and violent movements well you know um they were hot under the collar about certain things but you know we we should perhaps you know there should be kind of an, an implicit kind of um not making too much out of that but i'm i'm reminded about there was a thing that so i was doing an essay about aaron dusty roy who was talking about um the uh naxalite rebels in india who were marxist rebels who when um policemen who are essentially paid by landowners and Indian corporations come to uh, demolish villages that have been there for a thousand years in order to build a like a uh, bauxite quarry or something like that, um, the, the villages shoot back. And she said it's, it's actually offensive to tell those people to engage in passive resistance when they're the ones that are killed, their wives are raped, they're, they're chased off their land. You know, you've no right to tell them to engage in. in totally. And totally. I, for when you look at the the, the Black Panthers and um, the um, uh, the Nation of Islam, yeah, I mean their uh, their uh, struggle against you know police officers shooting them is it is entirely legitimate. Well, say Martin Luther King's strategy, or at least one strand of his strategy, is to invoke white police violence against black protesters yes. for the greater good. And that, that, of course, there's a rationale there. But if you look at Birmingham, black civil rights leaders have debates in 1963 whether they should allow children to participate in the protests. I think it was the recently deceased John Lewis who says, come on, these are children. We cannot put children on the front line. And I believe it's Martin Luther King, not only Martin Luther King, but says, this will get us the press that we need for our solution. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Nick. I don't want to be that black guy waiting to get clubbed around the head at best so that other people can have their rights improved. You know, what, what does Malcolm X say? Because Malcolm X, you know, I think his sense of humour is quite uh, underrated, really. But oh, it, yeah. uh, give me a forty-five calibre and then I'll sing We Will Overcome. And I think that re- that that's it. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, I mean, you know, the, obviously Martin Luther King has ma- many important qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always wary of any kind of, and it's not the role of a history teacher to deify uh, and or to to kind of make a saint out of anybody, and I, I think that um, what's happening now, I, th- I think this is a good thing. But there is more critical critical analysis of, of Martin Luther King, uh, because despite his his many achievements, there were you know miscalculations and missteps, and also downright moments of downright cynicism like that, like you you described that, yeah. um, which. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, I want to fast forward now slightly to to get his, you know, obviously King is assassinated in 68. There is this, um, again, another fallacy that we we seem to teach is this impression that post-68, the Black Power movement begins. And it doesn't. It it begins, you know, significantly earlier than that, several years earlier than that. Um, they, there's a you know, period of rioting in 68, but again, the rioting had begun 
significantly earlier than that. There was rioting, mm -hmm. I think Watts was 65. 65, yeah. Um, and the, um, the, 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 the period of the 1970s, which is, again, something that I think that most uh, British history teachers of civil rights, they, they're not quite sure what to do with the 70s. And the fact that uh, rather inconveniently uh, for, for them, the, the kind of the, the, the great the great demon Nixon actually does a, a couple of reasonably progressive things. I mean, because, ah, well, he didn't believe in it. It's like, and you think Kennedy and Johnson particularly, Why? you know, really? Uh, I think, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the liberal naivety about both Kennedy and Johnson uh, is, is partly partly responsible for that. Well, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but um, it's amazing what an assassination does for your reputation. Because if you look at characters within this conversation, Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, perhaps Malcolm X is the odd one out there who doesn't quite receive that deification upon being assassinated. Sure. And the, the, the one we haven't mentioned is Bobby, uh, who was considered, you know, the greatest president we never had and who would obviously have sorted out all, all the, uh, all the problems. Yeah. Um, again, which, you know, we shall never know, but we, you know, you need to kind of really, uh, have, uh, kind of approach these characters, not as necessarily as angels or demons, but as kind of flawed and complicated human beings that we need to yeah, sort yeah. of look at from a critical perspective. Moving on to the, uh, the period that I find most interesting is this period of kind of res the rescinding of the civil rights movement in the 1980s. And it's done with immense sort of subtlety um, by, by Reagan. Um, the, the idea that, um, the, that the, the, the kind of the, the repealing of welfare measures, which predominantly affect black communities, um, and the refusal really to... Um, uh, to to kind of um, endorse even the most minor kind of uh, progressive changes sees um, a, a kind of a, a, a sort of a huge kind of structural shift within American society. Of course, you know the advent of neoliberalism in America has huge implications for white people, for um, Latino people, and, and, and Native Americans. But particularly um, the for for African Americans, and there's this this demonization of welfare recipients again, which predominantly um, affects African Americans, and this kind of the creation of this sort of like this folk devil of the the, the welfare queen. Um, how do you see that period, Larry? It's almost like. I don't know, it's hard to talk about this without being controversial, but it's almost like um, the lights are off, no one's, the world's eyes aren't on us anymore. What, what, what can we scrape back from what we very reluctantly gave over? And, you know, Reagan's attacks on the dependency culture, we, we've seen the same in, in this country um, with, with, with Thatcherism and... Of, without that race level to the same extent as in America. Yeah. But what we see in America is basically, and it's what you see today, is the poorest uh, communities in America are black. Um, and the 1980s, well, listen, I wouldn't call the 1960s paradise found, but if we went for that, we could go paradise lost for the 80s because 
my probably my first memory of the civil rights for that huge umbrella term would be the beating to death of Rodney King, which is what, 91, is it? Very early 90s, I believe. Yeah. So you get the idea that it's almost a forgotten period from historians because we're still cheering those those victories of 68. And, um, you know, that, that that's my, my personal view, that yeah. civil rights wasn't such a political hot potato in that decade and other things, maybe the Cold War were, I don't know. I think there were some, there were various things that, you know, they, throughout the 1970s, the, the Black Power movement, particularly the Black Panther movement, had been crushed by the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the epidemic, the, the sort of the, the, the development of, of crack in black ghettos, um, which, uh, and I, I'm not sort of sufficiently uh, versed on, on on the history here uh, to go into the realms of kind of CIA conspiracy theories, but my understanding is that there is there there is rather a lot in that argument of uh, the the kind of uh, the the the, the um, helping of of crack to take hold in black neighbourhoods. But that's a kind of a, a conversation for another time, perhaps when I read a few more books on it. Hmm. Um. And there is this kind of uh, sort of like crypto racism, if you will. If you think, if you go back to Nixon uh, in '68, where he talked to this, this this white silent majority, and he said, you know, I know your problem is is crime. You know, you're worried about crime, and crime was a code for the black man. Yeah. You know, um, the burglar, the rapist, that 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 kind of thing. Uh, and in the 1980s, this idea of ending welfare dependency, ending freeloaders and scroungers and uh, people who were taking everybody else for a ride. Well, you allowed white uh, Americans who were, who wanted tax cuts to say, well, yeah, you know, I'm not being racist. I mean, freeloaders could be of any colour, couldn't they, really? Um, but it just so happens that when they're mentioned in kind of on talk radio um and um, in, in other places, and we must here uh, mark the, the passing of uh, Rush Limbaugh yesterday, that you know, the, the world is a pleasanter place without him. Um, uh, the, the, you know, who, who, who really pioneered this idea, this idea of, of the, you know, the lazy black freeloader. Um, and, it, and, there, and what Reagan was able to do was to tap into this kind of like a this culture of resentment, which had existed in some form since the 1960s and was uh, basically a racism that couldn't speak its name. There were certain things after the 60s you couldn't say anymore. There are certain things you can't say on the TV and the radio anymore, overtly racist things or in, in newspapers. So you have to find other ways of subcommunicating it. And there were, there were you know, surrounding people like Nixon first, then Reagan, uh, were some very, very skillful political theorists um, on, on, on the dark side. Um, and they, the period of the 1990s, again, which was um, a, a period mainly of, of democratic hegemony, um, were, was once again a period, and, and the new president Biden was... Um, hugely responsible for this of 
the growing mass incarceration of uh, African-Americans, which in, in some ways, because of the 13th Amendment, says, you know, you can, you can extract slave labor from people that have committed crimes. It brings us in many ways full circle uh, from, uh, from the plantations of huge numbers of incarcerated people. I think I think there's an element of it as well that um, you know race relations were a big thing for the white community, even you know by association rather than directly affect them. So if you have your Nixons, your Reagan saying, okay, listen, I think we've solved this problem. What we've now got is a problem that's colourless. It's um, people the scroungers basically. Now it, it's not a race issue. Any any race can be. Um, can be a scrounger and then when it comes down to it all the coverages of uh black americans hispanics mexicans well i'm not you know i haven't made it a race issue but here taking this theory forward you see that the it is a race and i think that's quite pleasing in a way to sorry i don't like to talk about white america because that's such a a kind of sweeping generalization but there's that kind of comfort as well you know and um you start to articulate a kind of um, a racist thesis once again of, well, you know, I'm not saying that it's that black people are, you know, the, the, the problem in our society, but they're just, you know, there just seem to be something there, doesn't there? You know, and allowing people to make, therefore, racist conclusions. That's right. We're not saying black black Mexicans and Hispanics are criminals, but there's a disproportionate amount of them in our federal prison system. Therefore. Yeah. And it's, and there and that was that is to extract a kind of structural critique of, of poverty and crime. You know, obviously, yes. when people who um, live in impoverished neighbourhoods where social support systems have collapsed and families are in chaos, unsurprisingly, uh, uh, become more likely to commit commit offences. Um, anyway, so take us into the the, the the current historical moment. We've had under and. Again, the violence against, you mentioned Rodney King, violence Mm. against um, uh, black Americans has continued unabated and continued unabated throughout the Obama period. Um, But Trump is the first president to really officially sanction it. He makes comments like, you know, if you're getting somebody into a police car, make sure you whack their head off the off the door and um, uh, officially miss that diplomacy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, his um, he 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 sort of is is very explicit um, uh, about about this, uh, knowing that um, his his base will lap it up. And the more kind of outrageous and offensive and shocking he is, um, the, the more followers he gets. Yeah, the the, the more it helps to outmaneuver his opponents. And um, mm. I mean, sometimes I think with Trump that it's, it's important not to apply too much logic to, to, to what he does. Um, you know, he, 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 he would, I, th- I think he is, um, uh, his sort of kind of racist proclivities in the first place. Um, his, his racist kind of um, uh, instincts in the first place. If you go back to the uh, the case of the, the the Central Park jogger rape, where he put a, a, um, a an article, uh, I think it was an advert in the New York Times, demanding the the execution 
of those who are uh, accused, who turned out obviously to be innocent. Um, uh, he, was, he was renowned for, uh, for this, for his, his birtherism against Obama, um, and, and came with a kind of a track record of overt racism in, in, into office. Um, and there were um, large numbers of, uh, of his supporters that I suppose kind of ex expect this, and um, they, they expect their kind of racist grievances to be, to be articulated. Um, but with the, 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 the Black Lives Matter movement, which I said is you know, really a, a kind of continuation, not just of the civil rights movement, but over the, the overall struggle for black emancipation in, in America. The thing that is exciting and fascinating and extraordinary is when you saw the protests last year, they were the most kind of uh, mixed race, multicultural, multi-generational protests for progressive change that I think have ever been seen in America, perhaps outside the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think maybe there's a lot has happened since the end of the civil rights movement, if we're using that 68 years bookend. And all the things that the world has gone through, Vietnam, well, all wars since since then, even if you look at um, COVID, I suppose, how everyone is impacted the same, you know? And I, I wonder if this has been a kind of deep-seeping realisation for liberal America that what Black Lives Matter were asking for is nothing beyond what white people have had for, let's say, century as a kind of ballpark figure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the fact that I've never felt disadvantaged going for a job because of my... Well, I suppose gender's the other one that we can come on to a different different time, but ethnicity, when I've been trying to buy a house, I, I haven't found myself disadvantaged in any way. And I wonder if it has just been like... The, the extremism of a police officer with his knee on the neck of George Floyd for seven minutes, that people see that and they see, you know, how can someone's son or someone's father get that type of treatment when we know that would not happen to us? This isn't some abstract stop and search, not to belittle that whole argument, but this is literally life and death and that's why i think the movement had followers supporters who would not have considered themselves necessarily supporters of the civil rights movement i don't know about that but um i, I really think like the role of media in flashing these images on on our phone on our tv on our social media almost as instantly as they happen has really given the world a bit of a conscience, might be a bit kind of John Lennon down that line, but uh, I wonder. I mean, I, firstly, I think the irony for the, for, for the modern racist is that they got the president they wanted in 2016, um, and the modern misogynist as well. Uh, and the, the, the instant reaction was a galvanization of civil society in America from the, uh, the massive, massive marches of uh, American women 
uh, against this sort of explicit and outspoken misogynistic and uh, mis misogynist and sort of sexual offender. Ridiculous um, character. Yeah. This um and and um also the, the 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 Black Lives Matter movement, which you know really in 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 the in the last summer was really actually an immensely successful movement, uh, and shifted the the kind of the discourse on uh, on on race and inequality in America in ways that it had not moved in 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 decades. Um, you know there there wasn't after Rodney King, um, the same sort of movement, in small part because you had um, figures like um, Clinton who said, well, in essence, you know, yeah, this is, this, is, this is bad and we really, society really shouldn't be like this. Um, not that they did an awful lot to, no. um, to, to, to um, do anything other than introduce, obviously, mass incarceration for African-Americans. Um, so Trump, in a, in a way, um, has been the, the kind of the, uh, the shot in the arm to civil society and the, the kind of the galvanizer of civil society. He sought to divide and polarize American society. He thought, you know, the way that I win is I kind of whip my base up into some kind of uh, rage and frenzy. They'll get me into power. And it's like, well... Generally, Ameri American and indeed British politics doesn't work like that. I mean, it, it is creating an alliance of your base and the people in the middle. So you can you can, you create an electoral block of about the sixty percent, um, and and that gets you over the line. But um, I can't imagine somebody who's had six bankruptcies to to probably grasp that one. Anyway, there there we must leave it for now. Um, so um, I do hope we can have some more of these fruitful conversations, Larry. It's been great to have you back on the podcast again. Thanks for having me. We will catch up soon. Um, and you can always, if you're a study, or a study student of modern Chinese history, you can find mine and Larry's book, which was called... The Making of Modern China, 1860 to 1997, available online, in charity shops, where else, Nick? Oh, um, mainly in those two places. Yeah, our bookshelves. Yes. <laughs> Thanks very much, Larry, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.